Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. Good morning. My name is David Toland, and with my wife, Rosie, and family, we have been part of LifeGate for about 10 years. Okay, just checking the gadget. As a child, oh, sorry, wait a minute, where's my title? Yeah, that's it, yeah, sorry, I'll start again. The title of my talk is Dare to Believe God and Dare to Pray. There is a game that children and young people often like to play. It is to find a challenge that looks difficult, then they say to each other, I dare you to do it. So the title of my talk is Dare to Believe God and Dare to Pray. As a child, my family lived at 69 Wanji Road, Lakemba. This is a picture of my younger brother Peter and my older brother James clearing out our front yard and my mother smiling at them. I want you to pay careful attention to the next door house in the background because that property was later sold to the Lebanese Muslim Association. In 1976, in our neighbour's site, the Muslim Association built the big Lakamba Mosque. At the rear of our house, Dad had a small factory and an engineering business. We were good and friendly neighbours to the Muslim Association and when they were building the mosque, we helped them with some construction and steelwork on site. The minaret is a tall tower on top of the mosque and we made the steel staircase in it. Here is a picture of me as a 20-year-old doing a welding job on top of the minaret. As you can see, it's very high up. Oh, we've got it upside down. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah, inexperience. Okay. Here is a photo of my dad's engineering factory next to the mosque. Please note that the main part of the factory building is a work area and on the right-hand side of of dad's factory is an upstairs office. I later turned this office into a Christian prayer room and I called it the upper room. This photo was taken about 10 years ago and shows our humble family house sandwiched in between the Lebanese Muslim Association building and the big Lakamba Mosque. Now I get to the main point of my talk and the problem that bothered me so much about the Lakamba Mosque. I will now tell you. Islam teaches Muhammad is the prophet of God And God has no son. 
But we read in the Gospel of John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Also in the epistle of 1 John 5.12 we read, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The teaching of Islam and Muslim people is to deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. This is a serious problem because Jesus himself said, the only way to salvation with our Heavenly Father is by faith through him. Because of this, Muslim people do not have their names in the book of life. That is absolutely tragic. Everyone has heard about the Muslim month of Ramadan and you know they practice fasting. But during Ramadan, they have a special night called Laylat el-Qud, which means night of power and destiny. This is the one night in the whole year that Muslims believe they have their best chance. Allah will hear their prayer and maybe forgive their sins. One time, I stayed up all night next to the mosque and listened to the anguished prayers. There were, was a desperate, haunting sound in their voices. Even though they pray, Muslims are never sure if Allah has heard their prayer. Think about it. Only one night a year that Allah might respond to a Muslim's prayer. Very very sad. But even though that situation is so sad, what can the Toland family do to help 40,000 Muslims next door? It seemed to me to be an overwhelming and almost impossible problem. But I dared to believe God and I dared to pray. In 2007, I cleaned up the top office in Dad's old factory and I made it into a, a prayer room for Christians to pray. I called it the upper room. Jesus had the Last Supper in an upper room and Pentecost happened in an upper room. With my sister Sharon, and with the help of a wonderful missionary couple, we started this prayer ministry. This is a lovely picture of Christians praying in the upper room next door to Lakemba Mosque. You can see on the platform next to me is a wooden cross that was made from wooden fence palings taken from the Lakemba Mosque fence. This cross represented our hopes and our prayers for our Muslim neighbours and you can also see this cross in the picture. We always prayed 
for this true salvation of Jesus Christ for our Muslim neighbours and prayed blessings on them. A sign on the wall in the upper room said, His will be done in Lakemba as it is in heaven. Wrong way. Done it again. Got it. The ministry of the upper room lasted 10 years. Every Saturday afternoon for two hours we prayed. We also had special occasions, like in this picture, where we had more intercessors. We had people praying in the upstairs room, and more people in the work area of the factory. On several occasions, we had a 24-hour prayer meeting where intercessors came and went in a continuous prayer relay for 24 hours. Did our prayers change anything? Well, I believe they did. Much outreach happened in Lakemba after we prayed, and a significant number of Muslims have been blessed and have come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is a picture taken in the main shopping street of Lakemba during Ramadan 2021. Many Christians rallied together with a ministry called the Peace Tent. You can see the sign on the wall there. Muslims are invited to sit down and enjoy Arabic coffee and refreshments. They listen to gospel stories told in an Arabic storytelling style. Last year, 5,000 Muslims enjoyed the peace tent and 50,000 Muslims saw it and passed it by. This is unique in the whole world. Lakemba is a difficult place for Christian outreach. But God has answered our prayers and it is still happening. St Andrew's Anglican Church is in the middle of this outreach to this day. Now this is all a fascinating and heartwarming story from my life. But what about you and your life? The title of my talk was Dare to Believe God and Dare to Pray. Remember, at the beginning of my talk, I said young people often find a challenge and say to each other, I dare you to do it. So my challenge to you, whatever seems to be a big and maybe insurmountable problem in your life's journey, dare to believe God and dare to pray. Thank you.
Good morning, everyone. What a beautiful message from David. Don't you just love his heart? He loves people. He loves God. It's beautiful. So I am Kim, if you don't know me. I'm heading up prayer ministry, as Michelle said. We're in the process of training our team still. Um, it's going really well. We're not quite ready yet to get going, but um, I, I can tell you I have an amazing team, and they're going to be a, a huge blessing to all of you. Right, so today I'm going to talk about, is Jesus the center? Is Jesus the center of your life? If you ask me what Jesus means to me, I'll tell you he's my everything. He's my best friend. Does that mean I get it right all the time? No, it doesn't. Um, I want him to be the center. It is my desire, but I don't always get it right. What I do know, though, is when Jesus is the center of my life, my life is much better. I have peace, I have joy, and I can be content no matter what circumstance I face. There was a time when that was not the case. For me, it was about being too busy. I had a job that got bigger and bigger. I was doing volunteer work for a Christian organisation, which was growing, and so my work got bigger and bigger. And I was running my own business at the time as well. So basically, I was work- ended up working seven days a week um, and no time to go to church. For you, it might be something different, though. It might even be a good thing, like a person or family or ministry... It could be a bad thing like fear, bitterness or a particular sin that gets in the way of Jesus being the centre. So what does it look like when Jesus is the centre? Well, that's a huge topic. There's many aspects to that. But it starts with knowing Jesus. When I finally stopped my busyness and I just spent time with Jesus, he showed me this. It's all about knowing him. Not just about what he's done or knowing about him, but it's knowing him for who he is. It's not so much about what I do. And as we get to know him, we can make him the centre. Because unless we know him, how can we trust him to be the centre? Now, there's so much to knowing about Jesus, right? We can spend our entire lifetime learning, and we'll never know it all until we get to heaven. So today we're just going to look at four things from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And they are, um, Jesus is God. He's creator God. Jesus holds everything together. Jesus is the head of the church. And by church, I mean you and I, believers, not a building or an institution. And finally, Jesus is saviour. So let's read the passage together. Okay. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Yes. Okay. The firstborn of all creation. I'm not sure if this is going to follow on as I read it. We'll see how we go. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in, in him all things, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus. Okay. So in this passage, Paul reminds us of who Jesus is. Now I say Paul, even though scholars don't all agree Paul wrote the book. But I tend to think he did. 
So let's first take a look at a, a bit about why Paul wrote the letter to give you some context. This letter is written to a church in Colossae, which was a city in Asia Minor. Now, Paul didn't found this church himself, but he felt a connection to it and a responsibility pastorally because his co-worker, Epaphras, um, founded this church. So Paul's in prison, and he gets news from Epaphras that there's a situation he needs to sort out. It seems some false teaching is going on, what commentators call a Colossian heresy. What exactly is this heresy? Nobody really knows. Um, there's no clear evidence, but it, um, and scholars do debate it very much. But Colossae was a multicultural city, and it was common in the ancient world for um, people to mix their different gods and beliefs and rituals to please every different one to have success in every different area of their life. And it seems this is why Paul wrote the letter. The church was in danger of compromising who Jesus is so that um, if they went down this path of doing the same thing, um, mixing other gods and religions with the Christian faith. And isn't it much the same today? Even as David said, you know, people try to tell us that Jesus isn't God. Um, The truth of Jesus is often compromised too so that we can feel included and accepted. For example, we are taught in schools and by scientists about the theory of evolution. And if we believe that, then we believe Jesus didn't create us. And if we believe Jesus didn't create us, then what purpose or meaning has our life? And if we um, don't believe it, or if we do believe it and we stand up for it, we might be considered strange and even ostracised. So what does Paul tell us about Jesus in this passage? The first thing he says in verse 15, that Jesus is the image of God. Now the Greek word is akon, which means copy or likeness. And more specifically, Jesus is the perfect, the exact likeness of God. He's not just a prophet, a rabbi, or a good person, as some people would try to make us believe. And not only is he God, he's create, everything was created in him. Therefore, if Jesus created everything, then nothing, including you and me, is just an accident. Our life has purpose and meaning. And Jesus is then greater than anything in this world that would try to create fear and uncertainty in our lives. It could be fear about what's happening around us, like the big things. Climate change is going to destroy our planet. There's a pandemic, there's a war, there might be a war and all sorts of things. But it might be the more smaller things, your own fears and insecurities, your own uncertainty about who you are and what your purpose is. But we don't need to be unsettled by any of these things because as Paul tells us in verse 17, in Jesus all things are held together. We can be sure of stability, acceptance and security even when the world seems unstable or our own world feels like it's falling apart. In Paul's day, there was a Hellenistic view, which just means a Greek view, that spirits dominated and controlled human affairs. Today, it might seem like dictators, diseases, authorities, could be your own fears that control your life at times. But Paul tells us that Jesus is the head of the church. He is in control. And as believers, he will guide and lead us through difficult times. And lastly, Paul tells us that Jesus is reconciler and peacemaker. And the Greek word for reconcile means to change or exchange. In other words, the relationship between humanity when we're sinners and God is changed through Jesus. We can have peace with God. We can be in relationship with him. He's not some faraway God that we have to work to please or some God that we have to pray to once a year and hope we might actually get our prayers answered. 
Um, we can know him personally, and we can have him at the center. So coming back to, is Jesus the center? It starts with knowing him, knowing he's God, knowing he created you with design and purpose. And you know what? If you don't know what your purpose is, ask him. Ask someone to pray with you. He will show you. And he holds everything together. No matter how shaky your world feels, he's still holding you. He's still holding your world. And he is saviour. If you're here today or you're online joining us and you don't know Jesus, can I encourage you to speak to someone today? If you're online, put it in the chat or press the prayer button and let us help you um, find this beautiful saviour that we know. Thank you. first got married. It's not that long. We've been married for about 18 years, but the story isn't that long. And we would be sitting down to watch TV of a night and we would be relaxing and I'd think, I feel like a cup of tea. So I would get up and I would go to the kitchen and I would say, hey, Nathan, do you want a cup of tea? In which he would say, no, thanks, and keep watching TV. So I'd make my cup of tea, sit down, watch TV, and he would look over and say, where's my cup of tea? He was clearly not listening very well to what I had to say. Have you ever tried talking to somebody who looks like they're paying attention or says they're paying attention, but really their focus is somewhere else? Yes, I think we all have. Well, today we're going to look at someone in Acts chapter 3 who was looking around and looked like they were paying attention, but really he wasn't paying attention like he needed to. And in the story, we find this man, we don't know his name, but we do know that there are two people in there that we did know their name of, and that is Peter and John. Now, Peter and John were disciples of Jesus, so they had followed Jesus, they'd learned from Jesus, they'd watched him do miracles, they saw him die on the cross, they saw him after he'd raised back to life again, they saw him ascend back into heaven, and they were in that group Nathan spoke about last week who waited in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. So they were there. And we have these men come into the story as well. So we're going to have a look from verse 1 to find out what happened when these three different people met together, Peter and John and this unnamed man. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Oops. Sorry, one second. As I said, we don't know the man's name, but we know he went at three. So that was the normal time that the Jewish people would pray. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. They didn't have government support, so he needed money from other people. And so he would beg every day and rely on people to get him there. So let's see what happens next. 
When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Now, we have to have a look at something very quickly, and that is when he saw Peter and John. So it seems like he's seen them. He's paying attention to them. But if you look at what the literal translation of that is, is having seen Peter and John going into enter, he asked them for money. And we can kind of assume that there were lots of people going to the temple and he's now turned his attention to someone else to say, hey, can you give me money too? He's not really looking at them. And it helps us understand what Peter says next because Peter says, look at us. And the word look here is a word blepson in Greek. And the word means to look, paying close attention to something or giving contemplation to something. Peter wants this man's undivided attention because he's about to say something with God's help that would change this man's life forever. Go on into verse 5. It says, So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Remember, he was looking for money. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the men's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So this man who had been a beggar every day of his life, because we know he couldn't walk from birth, all of a sudden can walk. And by changing his focus to what God wanted to say and what God wanted to do, he went from being a beggar outside the temple gate to being a worshipper inside the temple, which is pretty cool, I think. Now, we also can have our attention partly on God and what he wants to do, or we can have our attention on what he actually wants to do in our life. And... Sometimes we get it just wrong altogether because sometimes we can have our focus on other things. But when we do have our focus on God, interesting, we hear God more clearly like this man did. We see God move in power and then we know God more. This man praised God because he knew it was God who had seen him and brought healing to his life. Now, sometimes we have the wrong focus. And when we do that, we're a little bit like Peter. So the same Peter that's in this story, if you go back to the book of Matthew, Nathan spoke about this not that long ago, we see Peter say to Jesus, Jesus is walking on the water and he says, call me, I want to come out and walk on the water. And so he starts walking on the water, but then Matthew 14, 30 tells us, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. The word saw in this verse is a word, blepon, which is, has the same meaning as our blepson word. Exactly the same. He paid attention to. He gave too much thought and contemplation to the waves. And when he did, he started to sink because his focus wasn't on Jesus. And sometimes we can be just like Peter. We change our focus from focusing on God. And when we do that, we find that our thinking of ourselves isn't what it's supposed to be. We can sink into depression, into feeling of, feelings of helplessness or hopelessness. We can sink into bad habits. 
and we can sink into poor decision-making because we've changed from what, what does God want me to do to it doesn't really matter. I can do whatever I want because my focus is on that thing, which maybe isn't where God wants our focus to be in the first place. Instead, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, that we should rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds on to us so tightly and let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. So just like Kim spoke about having Jesus as a centre, we do that by keeping our eyes fixed on him. I can remember my grandma would tell me, if I ran in a race, don't turn around and look somewhere else. You look at the finish line. Don't worry about anyone else around you. Look. That, doesn't, that can't apply that to Christianity. You have to look after the people around you. But run focused on the end goal. So what happens when we fix our eyes on Jesus? We become just like the man in the story. We allow God to move and to change us. We allow him to take those things that held us back, like the man could not walk, and God changed that. Imagine what his life would be after that. We don't know. But imagine what he could do now, that he could walk. We let God do in us and give to us the things that he thinks are best. This man was looking for money, but God wanted to set him free and do something so much greater. When we shift our focus, that's what we have happen as well. And something else amazing happens when we shift our focus and we focus on Jesus. This story tells us something else amazing also happens. In Acts chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it says this, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised... They recognised him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And if you go on reading Acts, you see that Peter then used that opportunity to share Jesus with people and tell them about Jesus. And the same happens to us. When we focus on Jesus, when we let him change our lives, people will notice. And then they can say, what's going on with you? And we can tell them, well, actually... It's because of Jesus. So this morning, let's expect that God wants to do something in us as we spend some time focusing on him. We're going to have a time of worship now with our worship team, led by the wonderful Hannah. And we are going to have time where you can just focus on Jesus, put him in the center, dare to pray as you worship and expect God to believe. And then we will have a time where we'll have the prayer team come out and they can come out now if they like, where you can come and get prayer and say, hey, I need help with this. Or I've got this thing that distracts me. Or I feel held back by whatever it is, whatever your need for prayer is this morning. Or perhaps you just want God to do that thing in your life that you don't even know what it is, something that he wants to do that's greater than what you wanted we're going to have time for praying for that. But first, let's spend this time focusing on our amazing and great God. You give life. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. 
My name's Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.